Welcome to the Shock Your Potential podcast with your host, Michael Sherlock. We all have potential, but sometimes we need inspiration to get us to our peak performance. Whether you are starting out in your career, ready to move up the corporate ladder, or taking the leap into entrepreneurship, Michael's guests provide powerful tools and resources to shock your potential. Shock Your Potential is a global professional development training company committed to your unique journey. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and download our free Shock Your Potential app today. Listen in to today's expert. You're about to listen to my interview with Rachel Brownstein. And uh, we had an incredibly frank discussion about some things that are a little bit uh, maybe racy in some areas. So I just want to make sure that you know that this has some explicit content in it in this episode. So I would advise you not to listen to it in the car while you're driving your young children to school. However, I do encourage you to listen because this is a very eye-opening discussion with someone who spent a great deal of her career in the sex industry. But we also talk about her new project in YouTube channel. So listen in. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. I am your host, Michael Sherlock, and all month long in August, we are talking about art and specifically why it is so important for us to remember some of the things that became very important to us during lockdown and figure out how to carry them back into our now crazy and chaotic lives again. My guest today has a very interesting background in terms of art um, and what she's doing today, I think is, is really phenomenal on another number of levels, but you're going to be a little surprised. So Rachel Brownstein is a no-nonsense public speaker and actress, and her main goal when she speaks is to bust myth- myths about the adult film and sex industry. And she's a keen vegan chef. She has her own vegan cooking channel on YouTube called Auntie Rachel's Chaotic Kitchen. In fact, we're going to have a little uh, preview of it for uh, those of you watching the video version. Now she's a UK-based speaker and she talks openly about her own experience working in the sex industry. And she does it in the hope of educating people about the reality of sex work and dispelling myths of and mis- misconceptions that people have. Now, this is um, this is going to be unique because we're going to talk both about what she's doing today and a little bit about her past. But what I really love is in her um, YouTube channel, she's really trying to bust some myths about veganism and really make sure that people understand that it doesn't have to be so hard and it doesn't have to be so horrible. Uh, there can be great fun in creating some joyous meals that way. But on the flip side too, you know, her work with talking about her own background in the sex industry is really important. And she had some, uh, some pretty dramatic experiences. You know, when she went into this world, she had 13 hour sex scenes that also included STD step. Uh, testing as a normal part of her working week. But now she really has great strong views about the need for clear and honest sex education for our young people today. And really because she doesn't want them growing up using porn as the yardstick for their own sexual relationships. So kind of that need to not make everything so Instagram or Pinterest worthy, but really understanding that great education is the key of everything. And she also advocates for sex workers to be given more of a voice when it comes to the laws in their industry. And we know that that doesn't always exist. So joining me today from across the pond, as we like to say, is Rachel Brownstein. Thank you for being my guest today. Thank you for inviting me on. It's uh, it's really great to be here on this chilly summer afternoon in Leeds because <laughs> it's very cold today. <laughs> Is it? It's not chilly where I am. It's not as hot as other parts of the U.S. right now, but uh, not chilly here. 
<laughs> but you have, um, I love, um, I appreciate the fact we're going to kind of talk about, you know, both worlds, a little bit of your past life, but what you're trying to do to advocate now, uh, but also about, you know, this new passion project and, and really looking at veganism from a different standpoint. And I know in your bio, um, I think that your last meal that included meat was like Christmas 2017. And you, yeah. then you just went cold turkey, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All to nothing, Tofurky. almost overnight. Yeah, I don't do things by halves. <laughs> so if you're exactly. going to do it, do it hard. Yeah. <laughs> but tell us a little bit, um, you know, you can decide what where you want to start on this, but, you know, tell us a little bit more. The bio only tells, you know, little highlights, but tell us a little bit more about you and, you know, maybe a little bit about the past, but also, you know, where are you going with this uh, YouTube channel? What do you want to accomplish with this besides just, you know, getting people to understand you can create um, very uh, interesting things in a vegan, uh, within a vegan diet? Sure. And I guess, all of my various experiences and avenues kind of all tie in quite well to that question. Mm -hmm. So I, so it turns out I have a disability. I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, mm -hmm. which is a connective tissue disorder. And, and in me, it manifests in uh, pain in my joints, hypermo I've got the hypermobile type. Mm -hmm. And I've always suffered with chronic pain, but I've been dismissed and ignored and, you know, it, it'll go away, it's fine. Uh, and then I was working in the restaurant industry front of house and just hating working for minimum wage, you know, doing kind of 11, 12 hour days, having four hours sleep and then doing it again. So I was mm. thinking, OK, how can I do what can I do differently? Because I don't have, you know, on paper, I'm not super well educated. I've only got kind of high school uh, qualifications. So how can I earn lawyer amounts of money on GCSE mm -hmm. level ed education? And my mind went straight to sex work, as, as it does. <laughs> um, but it was, I think it was about, I clearly have something that men enjoy looking at. So mm -hmm. let's, I, how can I monetize that? And sex work really gave me freedom and choice to, you know, if I felt, you know, if my back had seized up one day, it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to work today because I'm in too much pain. Mm. Whereas you can't really do that in a proper job, quote unquote. Right because of the problems it causes and the lack of empathy from management. Um, so yeah, I kind of just went all in, <laughs> you know, I started doing uh, sort of escorting, which was in call uh, prostitution mm -hmm. and then kind of went backwards, started lap dancing, then doing uh, photography in mag you know, magazines and for amateur photographers and then started doing films and because I'm a U.S. citizen, I could travel freely to the U.S. Mm. where they brought in a law. It's called Statute 2257, where you have to have two forms of U.S. ID to be able to appear in adult films under the pretense oh. of preventing child oh, right. pornography. And I really dislike right. the term child pornography because it's it's not. It's images of child abuse. So we need mm -hmm. to stop conflating the two because I think it kind of lessens the horrific things that are being done to children but anyway right. that's a different discussion so yeah I could come and go to LA and again I'd go out for a month or so work every day and then come home for two months and not do anything at all mm -hmm. and it just provided a real a disposable income but a freedom opportunity to go and visit different countries and and meet lots of different people and there are so many different reasons why people enter the sex industry you know some are doing it 
because they have to, because there's, for whatever reason, they need to support a family or mm -hmm. need to support a drug dependence and they have no other support and other ways of managing this while, you know, paying bills and keeping a roof over your head. Or, you know, I met someone who was doing a sociology degree and wanted to look at the sort of sociological aspects of, of pornography. Wow. Someone else was saving money to start a business. You know, so there are so many different reasons, you know, and for me, it was money and freedom, you know, and having mm -hmm. that not working in a nine to five. Right. And as I get older, I'm starting to suspect there might be a, a neurodiversity in myself. And being in a nine to five job really stifles me. And I, you, I keep coming up against, you know, managers who are like, this is how it has to be done. I'm like, but that's inefficient. Why don't you do it this way? Because that's how it's always been done. I'm like, but that right. you're losing money. So the just friction. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, you know, and I, so working for myself kind of provides a bit of a, an income, but a distance away from the things that drive me crackers. Right. And then, sort of it got to the point where it just wasn't fulfilling my needs anymore you know the money was still great but I wasn't using my brain I wasn't being creative and I'm quite a creative person and I needed that mental stimulation and I did start to see a side of the male psyche that I don't necessarily think women should be exposed to in mm -hmm. some men it's all I will preempt everything it's not all men but it's enough right. of them to right. really you know so I was like okay what what can I do so I started trying to transition out of the industry and then started getting fired because I'd be recognized by men who can't keep their mouths uh, shut uh, and you know it's it's the same thing like so men can masturbate but women can't earn money I mean that's just a ludicrous mm -hmm. ludicrous state of affairs and so I, I left the industry tried to model along keep my head down but I'd just be hounded across social media and again I don't hate men I really don't it does sound like I do but I don't but they would create playlists where they put my real name and then my stage name and that would be the first result you'd get on Google when you googled oh, no. anything and you know message requests on Instagram Facebook Twitter you know and it's just people would not let me go, leave you know it was like they'd get back in your box that kind mm. of thing mm. and you know, for any time I've spoken about, even when I was in the industry, people just so interested in the behind the curtain aspect, because you only ever see we're either, you know, sex workers are either plot devices or props or, you know, it's just a very one sided view of things. Whereas I was speaking quite openly about the mundanity of it all, you know, and mm -hmm. yeah, you've got to go and, you know, swap STI tests and look at their HIV test and you know then you've got to have the conversation about you can touch me here but don't do this and okay mm -hmm. I like really hard pressure on my testicles but you know and, and having mm -hmm. these very frank conversations um and I realized that people need to hear what sex workers have to say about the industry because the voices speaking on it don't know what they're talking about all they to talk about is the exploitation and the abuse and it's like okay that certainly does happen but name an industry where you don't have that you know I was yeah. I've been sexually assaulted in restaurants while I was working you know yeah. I was, asked a man how would you like your steak cooking and he was like medium rare and slapped me on the ass I'm like mm -hmm. whereas that never happened in pornography you know right. was, so you had ex yeah you had rules and guidelines because, exactly and there was yeah, much because, more yeah. I think respect in many yeah. ways and there was there wasn't such a, an imbalance in power between men and women 
Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, I told my manager what had happened with, in the restaurant. Well, you know, you just got to take it, haven't you? Because they're customers yeah. and they're always right. Uh, so it's, And that's such a wrong response and it's such a wrong, but you're absolutely right. That's prolific in the industry, in that yeah. industry. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, to say porn or sex work is inherently bad is just very reductive i think mm-hmm. we're trying to put these laws into stock you know they're trying to put a bill through in the uk at the moment that will criminalize sex buyers and i'm like this isn't going to do anything no. except make it more and more dangerous for the workers exactly it's the same as the war on drugs yeah exactly drug use is at an all-time high the laws don't do anything except make no. it more and more dangerous so let's yes. please start taking a different a radically different approach Perhaps mm-hmm. like Portugal, you know, they've decriminalized everything. They're having to consolidate police forces. Apparently, this is what I've read. You know, so I think they were, they were just, we need to start moving away from laws and mindsets that were put into place hundreds of years ago that no yeah. longer serve the 21st century. Well, and the numbers tell the story. I mean, recently um, we just had, a, gosh, I think it was yesterday. I was watching an, a news article about Pornhub. And I had no idea that they have more daily users, like 130 million daily users. So they far surpass like Netflix downloads. And so, you know, there's, there's something to be said about that. Then, you know, you're going to have people using it. So you're not going to stop that. I'm not, you know, and I'm not one of those people that says, okay, well, you know, if you can't stop everything, just let everything happen. But at the same time, the numbers tell the story. So yeah how do you how do you figure this out in a society to make it less dangerous to make it you know um not something that's you know whispered about in the back rooms when it really is mainstream um figure out how to do this better so that you know that you are protecting people more and so i can absolutely see what you you know what your passion is with this yeah and I, and when you mentioned about I think there just needs to be, again, a radical change in, in sex education. Mm-hmm. And I think by being respectful towards kids as young humans, you know, these mm. are going to people who are going to grow into adulthood. And if you've yeah. hid them away from anything sexual, they're suddenly like curious, you know, mommy, what's a penis? Well, I'll tell you when you're older. Here's an iPhone yeah. so you can go and, you know, and of course they're going to be like. Exactly. You know? And it's, exactly. I think, it, I, I mean, I'm not a parent, but I can totally imagine that there's this real desire to protect your child from anything like this. And yeah. you want to kind of infantilize them as long as you can. But I think that's doing them a disservice in many ways, because if it's not you that tells them, it will be somebody else, whether that's their friend or whether it's Pornhub or, you know, so I think age appropriate, we need to start giving the kids the tools they need and to be able to critically look at pornography in the same way that they understand Harry Potter isn't an accurate portrayal of a school, right. you know, it, or right. the furious is not how you learn to drive a car. These are, <laughs> so you know, true. these are extremes of entertainment and that's all it is. It's entertainment. It's not meant to be edu, edu- <laughs> can never say that word. It's not meant to be a learning tool. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, even think about um, video games, you know, so hmm. video games where you're shooting people, you know, there's, there sometimes it can get confusing for kids you know if they're if they are accessing video games that are you know beyond where they are maturity wise they can get confused and you know and and we, there are things that unfortunately happen from that but you're absolutely right we live in a world where um, pornography is easily accessible you know when i was young i i'm 
I wouldn't have known, but I remember we had a neighbor that went out of town. And so um, he asked my mom if she would, you know, pick up his man. He was like our tenant. He rented the house next door to us. And I, you know, so she'd have me run over and get the mail every day. And so I was stacking it up, you know, while he was gone. And I remember he got a Playboy ma- or yeah, Playboy magazine. And I was like, what's this? So I opened it up. I'm, I'm looking at everything and I'm kind of had this confused look on my face. My mom walks in. She's like, oh my God, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm not really sure I understand all this. <laughs> and she goes, you're not supposed to. It's not. I'm like, but it's funny that that, you know, that had a big impact on me. And I remember thinking, huh, now I understand, you know, those magazines that are behind the, you know, they were in brown paper behind the, you know, the, the, uh, the cashier in the grocery store and things. And, it, but it made me like kind of ask questions, but now yeah. all you have to do is, you know, Google something on your phone and you're, you have those options. If we don't protect our, if we don't protect them by educating them, then Excellent. they're going to find it anyway. So yeah. Who want, who do you want to be in control of the information? You or the iPhone? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, and I think they need to, when creating, so I started doing lectures about sex work um, and it happened, a medical student contacted me and they were putting together a, an education package. And one of the modules was on pornography. And they said, you know, we don't know anything about pornography other than as viewers. So it's not really ripe for us to teach kids about something we don't know. And I just think that's a much more kind of holistic way of teaching. You know, how can you, I would never presume to teach someone about physics because I've got no idea of, you know, so it's like start incorporating. There's such a wealth of knowledge out there among, you know, especially on sex work Twitter. You know, I learn constantly about different things and, I think we just need to start involving sex workers in education because sex workers don't want kids watching pornography. That's not at all what we want. We want them to understand that it's just, it's entertainment and it's titillation and it's a a masturbatory aid. You know, it's, it's just never meant to be used as a learning tool because what they Mm -hmm. don't understand is for example, an anal sex scene that takes a good, 12 hours of prep you know I had to start starving myself the night before you know oh. and you have to stretch yourself and none of that is shown on the video so then they're suddenly well, well there's feces all over my you know and it's like well of course there is because that's what happens when you put things up something that things are meant to come out of mm-hmm. you know but they don't have they're not able to contextualize the body and why it's doing what it's doing on the film and they're just not been given the resources that they need to make these critical you know, an intellectual choices, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And it comes back to that, you know, also, um, you know, that Instagram perfection, you know, that mm. people think if my life doesn't look as pic- as perfect as their pictures on Instagram, then I'm lacking. If my sex yeah. life doesn't look like it looks like on a, on a, you know, in a porn movie, then, then I must be lacking instead of these things are, they are uh, packaged in a way to make people want to see them, want to view them, you know, be entertained, like you said. And it's it's a fine line between, you know, all the things that we're already self-critical about ourselves. And then if yeah. you try and compare yourself to something that's been orchestrated for 12 hours and people were prepped for it, it's a lot, you, exactly. you're never gonna achieve that. 
exactly you know with crews of of people you know on some film sets there'd be 12 members of crew standing around looking bored and you still have to be all enthusiastic but it's like these things are highly manufactured you know so it's of course your life's not going to look like that and you please don't ever want it to look like that because that 10 minute scene took five hours to film you know and it's there's a lot of discomfort involved in that oh I bet (laughs) But it's yeah, that's the age we live in, isn't it? We all want it's got to be for the gram, and it all has to. I mean, that's why I don't. I try not to spend too much time on Instagram because even me at forty-one, I get affected by. Oh God, I feel so lacking. Even just you know, by everything I've achieved in my life, I still feel second to these people who are all perfect and they yeah you know they post a selfie that's taken 40 tries to get perfect and I take one and I'm like I look hideous so I just don't bother (laughs) (laughs) I get it so to be I'm so glad I didn't grow up with social media I'm so glad me too and and we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break in just a second but I'll leave one last thought before our break and that is um I we my husband and I were in Italy and we were you know around you know late Como and you know it's beautiful and it's gorgeous and we're in this little town to have lunch and there's this gal sitting on the dock and behind her is you know the mountains and the lake and it was gorgeous but all she did was it was like take a picture and then she'd move her head a fraction of a set you know a little piece and then she'd take another picture and she must have taken 50 some pictures and I'm like I wonder which one made it onto Instagram because <laughs> that was a lot of work So we're going to take a quick break. We'll hear from our sponsor and we'll be right back. Are you tired of the time and expense of going to the salon for a mani-pedi? If so, Color Street is your answer. Base, color, and top coats are blended together in an incredible polished strip that you apply yourself. The result? A brilliant salon quality manicure in just minutes with no dry time, smudges, or streaks. These strips are 100% real nail polish, not stickers. They're flexible, can be gently stretched for a perfect fit, and last up to 10 days. I've been using them for months now and love the amazing selection of colors and styles, along with the ability to create my own unique manicure by mixing and matching. Shop today and support our sponsor, Betsy Roberts, by ordering at colorstreet.com backslash BH Roberts backslash party backslash 2095611. Again, that's colorstreet.com backslash BH Roberts backslash party backslash 2095611. Or simply click the link in our show notes. And we are back with Rachel Brownstein. And by the way, and we gave a little clip for your YouTube channel because I want to make sure that we uh, that you talk about this. So I love the 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 transition that you're making. And I actually really appreciated when I watched your intro on your YouTube channel where you're like, hey, if you know me from any place else, this is not what you, that's not who I want to hear from. Don't write, don't make comments because you're right. I can see how if you've developed a following in that part of your life and you're transitioning to something that now you're passionate about right here, that you're still going to have some people that follow you along. But, you know, what has this transition meant for you to, you know, start being in your, you know, Auntie Rachel's, uh, you know, crazy kitchen and and try to, um, you know, take your new passion and love of veganism to a new level? What What's that adventure been like for you? The kitchen kind of came around because of the pandemic, because of COVID. And I was spending, you know, I did, (laughs) so we had kind of, well, full lockdown in the UK, couldn't really leave your house. 
and I'd watched Tiger King. <laughs> I'd watched all the Netflix. <laughs> you know, I was like, okay, what are we going to do now? And I refuse to watch Tiger I, King because I don't want to get sucked in. <laughs> oh my goodness. It was just, I watched the first one and then I was like, oh, I don't, and then everyone was hyping it on Twitter. So I was like, all right, I'll watch the second. And then I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> bonkers but anyway um and I've got I've got d- depression anxiety and I could feel myself really starting to mm-hmm. to head into an episode so I was like what am I going to do so I started cooking and I've always been a bit kind of experimental or just chuck a load of things in the pot and see what happens mm-hmm. um and baking has always been a little bit intimidating for me because it, it feels a bit more scientific because you've got to get the ratios of everything right so I started adapting recipes that I'd found and trying different things with them and then posting you know oh, I tried this and it came out quite well so put that on social media because a bit of content why not boost the acting thing and a couple of friends said why don't you have a YouTube channel for your cooking I was like why don't I have a YouTube channel for my yeah, cooking like, that's a good idea because yeah. I just I think I don't know I don't necessarily think this is going to be the last time we experience something like this potentially not hopefully not to the same extent but I think you know the way we live our lives and so many of us and so busy and traveling the way we are I think these kind of things are gonna come around again so the ability to make an income from my house is is quite important I think and a a degree of passive income as well you know especially for when my Ayla's Dan loss is flaring up and I can't physically work you know just have something that's ticking along so that's a good idea so and then I was kind of okay well what I'll do because I'm an actor I'm used to being in front of camera and obviously the pornography has made me incredibly comfortable in front of a camera so I'll just chuck up a camera and see what happens and then as I was editing the first couple of videos I was just like my god I'm so chaotic and I was like well there it is there's your USP Just embrace your, you know, and my, I play Dungeons and Dragons and my typical alignment is chaotic neutral. So I was like, let's just roll with this and and see what happens. And it kind of allowed, it freed me up a little bit because I started holding myself up to like Nigella Lawson and all these other TV chefs who were so polished and amazing. And I was like milk boiling over everywhere, dropping things and just, (laughs) but then I thought, and then I watched uh, I can't remember, it might have been a Nigella Lawson and she was putting stuff in the in this, making a dish, putting this stuff in, I'm like, but why are you using that? Like, what 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 properties does that have? Right. And I know, and then I noticed that that's missing from a lot of TV chefs is they right. don't necessarily explain the ingredients. So all they're doing is teaching you how to make a recipe rather mm. than teaching you how to apply the knowledge across your own creations. So right. I thought, right, well, I'll I'll be mindful of that and I'll try and always explain, you know, well, I'm using this potato starch because it has a really nice clarity and it has structure. And, you know, so I kind of, because I want people to watch the video and maybe try that dish, but also think, oh, she did that thing with the potato starch and I really need to thicken this soup. Maybe I'll try it, see if that works, you know, and it's, I want to empower people to try you know, because people, I think cooking can be a bit daunting for people and for a lot of mm. men as well, because they've, you know, it's not manly, is it? You know, they've been taught that's woman's work. So to, yeah. and the majority of my YouTube viewers are male at the moment, like according to, to the YouTube mm-hmm. analytics, 100% are male. So I think a lot of that is former fans that have followed me, yeah, followed yeah. me along. Um, well, that's good though, because yes. if they make the, if they make the transition to where you are now and accept you, you know, this way, that is a great sign. 
it's lovely, you know, and I've had yeah. some really nice, beautifully supportive messages. And I did a podcast a few months ago and it was the first time I'd ever really spoken openly about it. And I was like, right, well, it's being published tomorrow. So I put out a thing on social media saying, just in case you didn't know, this is me. And just had loads of comments saying, I, I've loved you from your adult career, but now watching you in the kitchen is just amazing. Like, Aww. you know, and, and I was just sat in tears because I'd expected this horrific backlash. And right. I had a couple of horrible comments, but I just blocked them, moved on. I mean, that's just, yeah. that's social media, isn't it? But yeah, yeah, to get that support and the validation as well was really nice to, yeah. uh, you know, just kind of buoyed me up a little bit. Very good. So, yeah, and, it's, and now it's just about, I don't really plan anything in, you know, I'll have an idea in my head and I kind of deconstruct it in my mind and then just put the camera on and, and go for it. I so it's, it. I'm kind of trying it and people are watching along and they'll, they're seeing it in almost in real time of what's yeah. going to happen. Is this going to work? Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes it does. And sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes my theory it, sometimes is it goes what, horribly wrong. <laughs> whenever I cook something different that I haven't, you know, cooked before um, I always say to people, you know, look, if this doesn't work out, we can always order pizza. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know what? It's either going to yeah. be okay and it, you know, or great, or it's not, you won't hurt my feelings if you don't like it. I'll say no problem. Let's order some pizza. It's all good. Right. And the other great <laughs> thing about vegan food or plant-based food is that it's very hard to poison yourself. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> you, you know the food poisoning is much less of a, a risk, you know, so <laughs> it's, and then good point. And it, yeah. And if it goes wrong, make a soup out of it. <laughs> you know, it's fine. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, I love it. Well, and I think it's, it's a, it's a fabulous way to do it, especially not only with you explaining things, but really um, just being chaotic because, you know, being who you are, that's the key is being your authentic self. And if it's a little chaotic or crazy, or it's a little messy, I think that's why you're gaining, you know, such a following because honesty about who we are is you know, it's endearing. We want it. We want to see people for who they are and see that they're just as messy as we are. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, I think I, I, I enjoy seeing other people's vulnerability or their infallibility, you know, their fallibility. And I think it just humanizes, you know, and so I've, I've talked a couple of times about the Ehlers-Danlos. And so I bought these, I don't know if they're going to pick yeah. up wonderfully well. I had to buy some splints for my fingers. Yeah. And that's started a couple of conversations like, oh, what, what are they for? And mm -hmm. because I learned, I got my diagnosis because of RuPaul's Drag Race. You know, so uh, I think it's really? Evie Oddly. And uh -huh. I, have, I haven't watched the show myself, but a friend had, had said, oh, I've seen this thing on. And it, and it sounds just like what you're going through. So I did a Google search and was like, that is my life. Mm. Like, so I think the more I can talk about these things, then other people might suddenly have these random moments and then that it, it can be life-changing. Yeah. I mean, there's no cure or anything, but at least I know what it is. And I know that yeah. I'm not a lazy POS. <laughs> mm, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I've got chronic fatigue, you know, I'm, right. I'm disabled. So it really a very, helps. With a very good friend of mine has it as well. And right. I had never even heard of it. And actually she is um, getting ready to have some surgery for, you know, that will basically help her neck stay more right. connected. Um, oh, and, okay. uh, you know, and she's known, I mean, hers has progressed quite a bit, but, you know, listening to her, it's been really eye opening about, 
you know, being more conscientious of other people and where they are physically and what, you know, and don't make assumptions, you know, but also from your standpoint, don't always, you know, disregard what you're feeling, you know, as if it's, oh, it's just, you know, me being lazy or whatever. I mean, physical conditions are serious and they impact our lives. Yeah. I mean, I've had people say, well, you're not disabled. Look at you. What's it? Because you find me attractive, I'm not disabled. What? Yeah, so exactly. we've just got such a dismissive <laughs> attitude in our society. It's horrendous, you know. And so if if me looking like this can normalize mm. chronic illnesses, then I'll be that person. I'll stand up and say, no, this is what <laughs> chronic pain looks like. I'm smiling yeah. and I look great, but inside I'm dying. Right. I really want to lie down, but I'm gonna like keep going. That- I mean, that's being an actress, you know? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. You just got to keep that poker face on. And same with porn. You know, I, everyone's like, oh, you really loved it. I'm like, did I? Did I, <laughs> did I really? Did I really? Or am I a really great actress? <laughs> Oscar winning performances, I'm telling you. <laughs> all, I can, all I can think of is 12 people, you know, just looking over at you. You know, some with lights, some of the cameras, and some of them just going, hmm. I go home today I gotta stop at the grocery store (laughs) and that's what I'd be doing as well like mid-scene like oh I need to pay my taxes oh I need to get that thing from Gelson's you know it's it's just a job (laughs) we gotta look in the time of your life (laughs) exactly oh Rachel I can talk to you all day I, I really value um your story and you sharing it. So thank you. And I'm really excited to see where you go with your YouTube channel. I know you're getting close to that, uh, that big number that, uh, you know, that first thousand awesome. followers, you're getting close up yeah. there. So yeah, you know, those of us really doing that. YouTube, we're, we're always watching those numbers because they're important when you hit certain uh, benchmarks, but I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where you, where you can take it. And we're going to have all of your contact mm-hmm. information on our show notes, but just in case somebody wants to look you up right now, what's the best way for them to find you? So I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Auntie Rachel. And it's in Rachel, it, the A is an eight because it's more chaotic. Exactly. <laughs> and then on YouTube, it's Auntie Rachel's Chaotic Kitchen. I love it. Well, before we go, do you have any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers? I think it's important to, to stop letting other people put us in boxes that we're not comfortable in. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to burst out of them because it's just so limiting and it's exhausting trying to conform to other people's ideals. And I think it can start having a, um, almost a corrupting influence on your life. If you're trying to be somebody that somebody else wants you to be, you're then not taking care of your own needs, you know? So that's like a super serious one, I suppose. And then, but also just embrace your silliness and your creativity and, and don't let anyone yuck on your yarn. You know, if you want to go to Comic Con and dress up like Spider Man and d- do a dance, just do it. Just absolutely do it 100% because it will bring you joy. And just don't let anyone m- make you feel shame or embarrassment for your, your, the things that bring you joy, unless you're, you know, joy is animal abuse. Don't do that. But, you know, as long as, <laughs> as, long as that joy is just something that really lights you up in some way, brings you. Right a bit of relief from the insanity that's out in the world or just brings you a little smile or makes you just feel, okay, things are good right now. Just grab hold of that and really ride it hard. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for being my guest today, Rachel. It has been a pleasure to interview you. Thanks for having me on. (laughs) Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Shock Your Potential podcast. 
Learn more about us today at shockerpotential.com, including details on Michael's two best-selling books. Tell me more, how to ask the right questions and get the most out of your employees, and sales mixology, why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow a recipe for success. Make sure to check out our Shock Your Potential app, on-demand professional training resources to help you excel in your career. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like us today.